Psalm 46 is where we find ourselves this morning, looking at the Psalms of the sons of Korah together. So we come to Psalm 46. I wonder what you think about when you think about the Psalms. I wonder if what comes to your head, I know it's probably what would come to my head, is Psalms are they're songs, we know, uh, but I would think of words like praise, adoration, exaltation. These are words that would probably come to my mind. And so maybe there's times when you feel like down and out, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to read a, a Psalms. I think that will help me out. I think maybe it will, uh, will cheer me up a little bit if I, if I turn to one of, these, one of these Psalms. But oftentimes when you read the Psalms, what we notice is that the chapter we read isn't all about praise and adoration. But instead, as we read a lot of the Psalms, they're filled with hurt. They're filled with anxiety. They're filled with questions and wonder of what is going on. And to be honest, when you're down and out and then you turn, to, you're like, I'm going to turn to a Psalm. I need to, get, I need to get pumped up a little bit. It can be off-putting when you start reading somebody else who's depressed. And you're like, I'm already depressed. I don't want to read more about it. I mean, you think about it compared to like watching a movie. When we watch a movie, we normally want happy endings. That's what we, that's what we look for. You know, I, I saw a movie recently, and I knew how it was going to end because everybody liked the movie. And it's like if everybody's liking the movie, it's going to end good. I know it's not going to fail in the end. I know this person's probably not going to die, right? Because when that happens, we're like, oh, I don't, I didn't really like that movie. Or you think about when you listen to music. When you, maybe you get in your car, or maybe you do it at home when you're doing something, and you're pushing that skip button until you find one that matches your mood, right? Maybe you've had a, maybe you've had a rough day and you just want to sulk in your misery, and so you're going to listen to something slow and, and miserable. And that's what you want. There's other times you're like, I want to be uplifted, and so you're skipping over those songs that are, that are slow and maybe rough to listen to. You want to get to something a little peppy, or maybe you go back to your teenage years and listen to a song back then that used to get you going to get the blood flowing i think that's how we think of the psalms oftentimes we want to be we want to be told right of of what we can do not necessarily of what life really is about we want to get lost in some sort of fantasy but the fact is here in the psalms what we have is we have a picture of real life but we don't just have a picture of real life. We have, a, we have real answers given to us over and over again in the Psalms. And so it would be easy to avoid them, I guess. But it, there's got to be a reason that we have them in here. And again, it's because it's real. In the Psalms, what we see is we see a pleading heart writing out on paper so often what is very relatable. And it's relatable because we face the same problems. I don't know if you're aware of this. I hope you're smart enough to figure this out. But mankind just keeps repeating the same problems over and over and over and over again. You have the same problems that King David had. Right? We, I mean, we face the same sort of things. It's, it's nothing new. You can't, you can't look around at everybody else, even though we are all guilty of doing this, and look around at everybody and say, you guys just don't understand how hard my life is. Yeah, they do. Theirs is just as hard as yours. We all face the same difficulties. And we see that in the Psalms. It's so, 
relatable as we read it. Today, we're going to look at this 46th Psalm, and there's a couple of verses that are very popular. The first verse and the 10th verse are Psalms that I'm sure uh, you have heard. And this, this Psalm talks about God who is our strength and God who is our refuge. In fact, the famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is penned because of this Psalm, Psalm 46. And in life, we find ourselves actually needing this psalm over and over again. The fact that God is our strength, that God is our refuge. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you've been caught in a storm. But it's not a comforting thing. I think I was a teenager. Uh, I was right around there. I don't remember what age, but my uncle took me out on a jet ski on Lake Erie with him. I don't remember where we were going, but we got caught in a storm. And it started to rain. And it was getting pretty rough. And back then, jet skis were not how they are today. It weren't very stable. It wasn't very secure. And it was a scary thing. And what made it worse is it started to hail. And so we're going pretty fast on this jet ski trying to get back to where we're going. And hail just pelting us in our head. And I got to tell you, it was not a pleasant experience whatsoever. It was horrible. All we wanted to do was find refuge back at the car. But we had a long way to go before we got back to the car. And it was terrifying. And I don't know if the storm just caught up on us or if my uncle was just ignorant. Probably he was just ignorant at that point. We were just having too much fun doing what we were doing. We didn't pay attention to what was coming. But the fact is, is we got caught in a storm and all we wanted was some refuge. All we wanted was some shelter. And maybe you found yourself in a similar situation before where you're driving and a monsoon just comes and you think, I've got to find some shelter. I need to find a place to go. And when you finally get to that shelter, it is so comforting. It is so absolutely comforting. Some of you come from down south, and I think it is crazy that people down in Tennessee, I think I've talked about this with Pastor Spence before in Missouri, these people don't have basements, and they have tornadoes all the time. Like, how ignorant can you be? Dig a hole and go down in there. It's safety there. There's comfort there. Ah, it'll just pass by, you know, it's like... Don't you want to have that peace and that comfort? I know we, we don't have many tornadoes here, but when that siren sounds, when you get to the basement, there's some comfort in being in the basement. Because you think, I'm safe here. I have some refuge here. I have a shelter here. Well, as we read this psalm together, you will notice that what the psalmist is figuring out as he's living his life and going through life and what hopefully we have figured out too as Christians is that our God is our refuge. He is our shelter, and he is our strength. So follow along with me in Psalm 46. I'll read the whole thing. It's not very long. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still 
and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Not necessarily going to go through this verse by verse, but pull some out. Verses 1, 7, and 11 are verses of comfort. The psalmist here points out that our source of strength is is the Lord. And the psalmist actually uses a few different titles when talking about God in this psalm, in these in these three verses, and I, I want to look at them uh, each briefly this morning. The first one is that God is our, is our refuge. I'm guessing that each of you have a place that feels like a refuge for you. We talked about it a little bit with the idea of shelter. But I'm guessing most of you have a place in your life where you go to find some peace, where you go to find some relaxation or, or some comfort. A place maybe where you go where you feel safe and free from the cares of this world. It could be a different state. It could be a location. It could be a place in your house. Just a place where you feel you are able to kind of be free. But the fact of the matter is, what we find out, even when we have these places of of great comfort and and stress-free or whatever it might be, is just outside the door of your bedroom, if that's your bedroom, you know, it's like, I just need to get away. I'm going to go to my bedroom, I'm going to put some music on, I'm going to light a candle, and I'm just going to be at peace. The fact is, right outside your bedroom door is all your problems. Is it not? You probably can hear them through the door. You try to block it out, or maybe for you it's a different state, and so you leave and you go on vacation, but the fact is, is you always have a return ticket home. And you got to come home. And back at home again is all the... All the troubles, all the, all the difficulties of life, and these refuges that we find just don't meet the need. It doesn't meet the need that it was supposed to. And to be honest with you, those refuge, places of refuge, could easily turn into places of great anxiety if something bad was to happen on vacation. Or if something bad was to happen in your bedroom or in your home. Now all of a sudden, the place that you used to go to for peace is a place of great stress. And suffering. And so in the end, all these places of refuge that we look for on this earth just simply cannot do for us what we think they do for us. Because our problems are still there. What the psalmist is starting out this psalm with, he says, God is our refuge and our strength. And it's a reminder to us as Christians, it's a reminder of, us, of those of us who are child, children of God, <clears throat> that with God as our refuge... In him we never leave, and he never leaves us. In him we face battles in this life, but we always have his presence with us, the Bible tells us. One of God's attributes is that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So I can declare that God is with me, and you can declare God is with you, and we're both right. Because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all time, and he he never leaves his children. And in fact, Not just a source of of refuge, but the Bible teaches us over and over and over again that God fights for us in our problems and in our struggles. In Joshua chapter 10, they just had this battle. The sun stood still. Joshua says, there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. Why? For the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord was their refuge. He fought for them. Or in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. It says, be strong and courageous. 
Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise that we have as Christians, as believers. The promise that has been given to us that God is our refuge during the storms of life. Because face it, there are just some storms you can't avoid. No matter where you go, it's still there. The problem is always lurking or the hurt is always evident. Yet God is our refuge. He's the one that will not forsake us. He's the one who will not leave us. And so we, we cling to our refuge. And that's what the psalmist starts with. He's our refuge, but not just our refuge. He goes on and says our strength. We've been talking about this in Ephesians. In Ephesians, we saw over and over again how God gives us all the strength we need in Jesus. He's given us that together as believers. And then also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a hard thing to say. That's a hard thing to declare. When I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because God is my strength. God is my source of strength. And I show my greatest strength in my weaknesses when I am declaring to everybody, listen, you see weakness here, but God is still strengthening me. God is the one who fights my battles, right? God is my source of strength in all things. I think of a lady at Cornerstone when I was pastoring there, Miss Ada. She had so many health problems. She had so many issues, but she quoted this verse to me all the time. She would tell me about the brain issues she was having and the pains that she was going through, but she ended every conversation the same way. She would quote this verse, but he tells me, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's always stuck with me. Someone in my life who's bared more pain than I probably will ever have to go through. But this was the verse she would cling to. My grace is sufficient for you. She was always reminded of that, that God was her strength, even in her weakness, day in and day out, over and over and over again. But there's other things that, this, that he says in verse 7 and also in verse 11. This, this verse repeats. The psalmist says, the Lord of hosts is with us. When we see that phrase, the Lord of hosts, this points us to the fact that the Lord leads the armies of heaven. That the Lord is the general in charge of all of these armies, and it's an army that simply cannot be defeated. The Bible tells us that all things are his. All things are his. And so this army that we are a part of, that we are on this side, is one that cannot be destroyed. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 reminds us of this. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is Jesus who they speak of. And all things being created through him and for him means he has complete power and control over all of it. And so the biggest army we can think of in this planet doesn't hold anything to the Lord of hosts who controls all things. And so the writer of this psalm, as he's writing about difficult things, is reminding himself and those who will read this and sing this song together, we serve the Lord of hosts. 
a commander of the armies that never are defeated. But then he has one more thing. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The writer is reminding us again, and this is for us too, as Gentile believers, that we serve the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God who promised, he promised them, I will be with you always. Right? He told Abraham, you are going to have children that are yours more than the sand on the seashore. That's us. And he's reminding us, this is your heritage, people. This God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, it's the same God today who loves you and who sustains you. And so the same God who brought Israel up out of Egypt, redeemed them from slavery, and where does he take them? He takes them, he promises, to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the same God we have today with that same promise. Being a land flowing with milk and honey with him forever. So with all these great truths about God, we must remember that they alone, though, are comforting to those who are the children of God. These truths are not comforting to people who fall outside of the children of God. They must be a part of the children of God to experience these promises. And thus, these promises are reserved for the church. They're reserved for the church. And so the rest of this psalm, as we go through it, and we see the difficulties that this psalmist was going through, These three verses that we just talked about are only comforting to those of us who've been saved by his grace. And so today, if you find yourself outside of the family of God, you've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you've you've never put your life completely into his hands, then know this, this comfort that we talk about is not comforting to you. Instead, this would become a psalm of distress. My hope is that through this psalm, God will open your eyes to the truth to help you to see who he is, the love that he has, the lengths that he has gone to show you his love through his son, Jesus. And I hope that before you leave this morning, you would then be called part of the family of God, that you would trust in him and that you could then sing along with us as we sing songs that say, God is our refuge. God is our strength. We serve the God of Jacob. We follow the Lord of hosts. I hope that you'd be able to say that before you leave this morning as well. Well, in verses two through five, getting to some of the difficulty of this psalm, the psalmist talks about the groanings of creation. It says, the earth gives way, the mountains be moved, the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The psalmist here is understanding the frailty of life, even in the natural world. Earth referring to land, mountains and seas. You can think about all the things that happen in this world. I mentioned tornadoes already, earthquakes, mudslides, avalanches. We just stand in awe of the power of these things. Nothing can get in their way. They just seem to crush it. Or the power of the sea and the water. Some of you like to go out on Lake Erie and you like to do fishing and you understand, at least to some extent, the power of water and what it can do. Or we see the effects, it seems, every year of hurricanes that ravage lands, tornadoes that sweep across our country, and the destruction that is left behind. It makes me think of Romans chapter 8, verse 22 through 23, when the Bible tells us that the, that the creation is, is groaning, waiting for the time of Christ to return. That there's this groaning that happens and is taking place. And oftentimes, the fact is, these groanings of the land are deadly. 
And as we stand back in awe and look at the destruction, we realize, don't we, just how powerless we are. Oh, you think a basement is safe? And think about it, a basement? Yeah, we hope. And whenever this happens, you hear on the news, don't you, people trying to give reasons and answers for the destruction. They're trying to give solutions to the destruction. But the fact is, there really is nothing that we can ultimately do because creation is going to continue to groan in birth pangs until Christ returns. It will not end. It's going to happen. And so the writer of this psalm maybe has witnessed some sort of devastation. It could have been a volcano. It could have been an earthquake. Who knows? I don't know what they've witnessed, but they've obviously witnessed something from nature. And they say how awful it can be, but yet they're reminded of whose they are in verse 5. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Again, we see this reliance on God in the midst of the storm. He knows this is happening, and it's okay. And it seems like the psalmist here just has this peace about him. I don't know what's happening in your life. I know that right now in our area, we haven't faced some big natural disaster necessarily lately. There's storms in your life. There's difficulties that are happening and taking place, and you can't seem to run away from it. Everywhere you go and every waking second, that storm is there. Can you cry out with the psalmist? Can you relate with the psalmist? As verse 5, God is in the midst of this. She shall not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. This is the promise that we have from our God of refuge. This is the peace that we can be given through God our strength. Well, the writer goes on in verses 6 through 9 after talking about the groanings of creation to talk about the rebellion of this creation. In these verses, we see mankind, we see nations rising up and attacking. And who are they attacking? They're attacking the people of God over and over and over again. And so here what we have is we have a scene of battle. Now, I got to stand before you this morning and confess, I have never witnessed a scene of battle. It's never been a part of my life. I've never had to stand literally scared to death with bullets flying around me. I hope to never have to do it. I've never had to walk being scared to death that the next step I might take might trigger some sort of explosion and me and my men could die. I've never had to witness a scene where battle is taking place and around me people are falling down hurt. Some are falling down dead. To be quite honest, it's terrifying to think about. But I can't relate to it. I don't understand it. But for this writer, they obviously have experienced it. And so battle for Israel would look probably different than it does today of things that we see. For Israel, when they would go into battle, it would be hand-to-hand, up close and very personal. They would surround cities and cut them off from food and water the best that they can. And so you see starvation. You see death in that form. It had to be horrible scene to witness these battles. And so it's like the psalmist is trying to think of the worst possible things in life. Complete natural devastation, but complete rebellion of its creation, of fighting and killing each other. Yet the psalmist, again, in the midst of battle, points to a peace that comes from where? From the Lord of hosts. From the God, as we sing a song, a God of angels' armies. In these battles, the psalmist is reminding 
us as we read it that God is fighting for them, for his children, for his people. And as children of God, we cannot let go of that. And I'm afraid we do too often. As God's child, no, God is for you. God loves you and God cares for you. And he has fought for you through the blood of Christ. And he has won. He has won that battle. So today we know that we can stand victorious. How? Because of Christ. Because of Jesus. Because of his victory. And we can be reminded, can't we? That one day we're promised. One day. Not today, at least not yet. But one day all wars will cease. All battles will cease. Physical and spiritual. We live in a time when that just hasn't happened yet. And so as Christians, we look forward to the time of that. We look forward knowing that that time is coming. Look at what he says in verse 9. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. We long for that day, at least we should as Christians. We long for the day when there's no more wars. No more rumors of war. No more pain. No more hurt. We just... We yearn for that day, but the fact is, we still live in a time when that day hasn't come. But we pray, Lord, come, so that there'll be a day of peace for God's people, a day of judgment, though, for God's enemies. But until that day, what do we do? Until the day of that, what do we do? Well, we keep living. Until that day, we rest in him because our confidence is alone in him. Well, then the psalmist gets to verse 10. We'd already looked at verse 11, but in verse 10, it shows us the church's confidence here. He says, be still and know that I am God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That's got to be one of the worst verses to me to hear. I really don't like that verse. I mean, it's, pla it's put on pictures and all this stuff all the time. But it, it kind of makes me feel like, here's a tornado, just stop. Be still. And know that I am God. Uh, no, I'm going to run. I'm going to run. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get away from it. Right? I'm going to do everything I can to, to run and get beyond. I, I don't want you to tell me to be still. What I want you to tell me is what can I do to feel safe? What can I go and do to be confident in my safety? Don't tell me to do nothing. Tell me to do something. Yet the psalmist here seems to take comfort in the words, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. An easy thing to say, yet a very hard thing to live out. In the midst of a raging storm, in the midst of a roaring battle, you're going to tell me, be still. Calm down. Now, this does not mean, obviously, to be lazy. This obviously does not mean to be non-active as well. What the psalmist is saying is it means we are to be free from worry. Be still, O my soul, and take rest. Though the nations rage, though the earth groans, Though maybe you see no way out, be still, O oh my soul. Well, why? Because I know who holds my soul. It's not the tornado. It's not the enemy. In fact, 
It's not even me. But it's my God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus would preach about this on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, it's, it's a section we know. It's a section we very rarely live out. Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I dare say that if all I read was Matthew 6, verse 34, the last part, you would say amen. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You would give a hearty amen, amen to that. Oh my gosh. But when I say, yeah, but you remember what we read at the first part? Do not be anxious about it. Can you still say amen? No. Oftentimes we can't. Oftentimes we don't know how to respond in the day with its trouble. And all we can think about is the trouble that lies ahead tomorrow. We struggle so badly with this anxiousness. Yet God says, be still. As Christians, we have been taught, as people who've been in church for a very long time, which many of you are, I myself also, I have been told over and over and over again, that God the Father has what is best for me. I've had Sunday school teachers up in those rooms tell me, Tim, God loves you, and he wants what's best for you. Over and over and over again. Yet almost every day when I wake up, what is hankering me? Anxiety. Stress. Depression. The unknown the uncertainty of life. Yet it's been drilled in my head day in and day out. God wants good for you. And we all know that is true in scripture. You couldn't come up here and tell me, I don't think God actually wants what's good for his people. Show me that biblically. Because all over, all it says all the time is God wants the best for you. Yet too often I live as if God cares more about the lilies than he would his own child. God cares more about the birds than he does about Tim. I'm reminded of David writing in the 23rd Psalm, how he can find rest in the most difficult circumstances and situations. You remember this, Psalm 23, verse 5? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What a verse. 
in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the battle, as my enemy is closing in, what does God do for me? He gets my place setting ready. He prepares the table. He says, come and eat. Come and dine. Why are you worried about all that going on out there? I'm right here with you. Don't worry about the battle. Don't worry about the storm. That's what David's saying in that psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And not just that, you then anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now this is what it means to be still. This is how we as Christians should be acting in the turmoil and the tumult of this world. Oh yes, they're pressing up against the church. Oh yes, they do not like us. Oh yes, they're going to hate the things that we say that are true according to the word of God. But does that mean we get to then go around and mope? Does that mean we walk around saying, woe is me? Our enemy is getting bigger. Our enemy is getting stronger. What will we do? Well, David says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat with my king. He's going to feed me the best food he has, and he's going to anoint my head with oil, and my cup is going to overflow even in the midst of such anguish and such hurt. Well, how can this happen? The question that sits here is, how can we have peace in such troubled times? How can we look our friends and our neighbors and our family members in the eye and say, listen, I know this hurts. I know this stinks. I know that the light at the end of the tunnel is probably more hurt. Yet have peace because God is in control. How do we say that? How do we know this? Well, for me, the place I almost always go to is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. I read this at almost every single funeral I do. And I've quoted it to many of people laying in bed sick and ill. But this is a promise that we have been given. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, notice this, this is how it happens. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then notice what it says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds. How? In Christ Jesus. That's the answer. This world can offer no peace apart from Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And so when you stand next to your coworker who's going through something horrible, Christian, listen, your answer to them is Jesus. That's it. It's not to feed them and give them a meal and help them out in times of trouble. Is that good? Yeah, that's fine. But that doesn't do anything for them. Because after the meal, guess what? It still hurts. The only thing we have is Jesus. And the Bible tells us that now we have the privilege as New Testament believers as we get to look back at this psalm and understand it's talking about Jesus. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God of our refuge. He is the God of our strength. He is the God of Jacob, our fortress. He alone is the one who has conquered all the issues, all the problems, all the struggles of this world. He has done it. And because of this, because I am his and he is mine, I now get to live as a conqueror, fearing nothing. Having no fear, having no anxiety, having none of that. Now listen, things are still going to hurt. 
Things are still going to be extremely confusing at times, wondering what is happening here. Yet in the midst of all of that, peace can come because of Christ, because of him, because of who he is, knowing that he has answered it all. My question for you this morning is, do you actually struggle to believe the truth of this psalm? Is that kind of peace a real thing? Is what the psalmist here writing, is it actually real? Is what you just read, Pastor Tim, in Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 6 through 7, is it actually real, this peace that you're talking about? Let me answer that question for you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is 100% real. I've seen God take families who have lost children and provide them with peace that they never knew was going to be able to happen. Is it still hard? Absolutely, every day of their life. Every day of their life, it's hard. But yet they keep going and trusting in God, and God provides for them peace that they did not understand could happen. I've seen it happen in other situations of death. I've seen it happen in the midst of sickness. Standing there with Mike this week, Mike Love, doesn't look good for him. Yet he has this peace. And he says, I have this peace because I know what Jesus has done for me. I don't want to die, but I think I'm going to die, he would say. That's okay. Where does that come from? How, how, do you, how, do you deal, how do you answer that question? Only God does this through Christ. Listen, that peace starts to go away when you lose focus of Jesus and who he is. Because on the flip side, I've seen many of Christians, and I might even put air quotes, I'm hesitant to do it, who seem to have no peace in times of trouble. And they've lost their focus on what the peace is about and who it's about. It's not about the comforts of this world. It's about the fact that when the battle is raging on, my eyes are still in Christ. And though the bullets are flying, I'm at complete peace because I know who has me. And if this world takes me, if this bullet hits me, and it's over for me, so be it. You've now sent me home with my God and my Savior forever. If this life is going to give me struggles and hurt for 80 years or 90 years, well, according to the book of James, life is a vapor. And what is that compared to eternity that I've been promised to spend with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forever, where there is no hurt, no more pain, and no more suffering? God continues to promise us as his children peace through the precious blood of Jesus. This is why I read Revelation chapter 5 this morning. I wanted you to be reminded, as I was reminded this week, all this stuff that's going on in the world, all this stuff that's going on in your life, all this difficulty and struggle and whatever it might be, maybe you're going through a good time right now. Listen, what it's all culminating to is the moment when the slain lamb of God, Jesus Christ, comes again. He comes again. And what matters on that day is, is your name written in the lamb's book of life? The question isn't going to be asked, how good did you do it? The question isn't going to be asked, well, how long was it written in there when you were on earth? You know, some of you would stake that claim. 
I've been a Christian 70 years. Well, great. You're still a baby in Christ because you haven't grown any. I got this person over here who's been a Christian for two years, and they're just flourishing. What's going on? I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Right? That doesn't matter in the Lamb's book of life. But that's where it's all heading to. And if you've been saved by God's grace this morning, church family, then we can rejoice in the midst of these struggles. We can have great peace in the chaos of this world because we know how it ends. Those who've been saved by God's grace will spend eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Those who have not trusted in Christ, those who have not been saved by God's grace, what they face is judgment and the wrath of God for eternity. You know, one of the great heresies of time that continues to resurface is the heresy of universalism. And it's making its way back today. It's the teaching that all will be saved. Don't worry about it. In the end, God's gonna save everybody. It's all right. I wanna tell you this morning, that's not true. That is not a biblical stance. The Bible is very clear. There will be a separation, the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats. There is a day of judgment coming. And this morning, if you find yourself outside of the family of God, you've never truly trusted in Christ. I don't care how old you are. You've never put your faith in Christ. The day is coming of judgment on those whose names are not found written in that scroll, in that book. And I would beg of you, I would plead of you, trust in the loving Savior, Jesus, and what he's done. Trust in him. Be a part of this family that has peace, that has hope. The only place it can be found is through Christ. And again, for those of us this morning who have been saved by God's grace, do we live this way? Do we really live with peace? Do we really live in a comfort of knowing we are his and that that is our main focus and that is our source of joy? It's easy to say yes to that, but it's hard to live it out when the rubber hits the road, isn't it? When life really gets hard and difficult. And I say that from experience. I mean, it's been a week and a half, and I had to do the funeral of my grandfather. That was hard. That was difficult. But there was a peace that God gives knowing, first, the comfort of knowing he was a Christian. He's a lot better than me. I'm going to sit here and cry and mope for him. He's better off than me. And there's also a promise, though, that you get to see him again as a Christian, right? There's all these good things that as a non-believer, they don't have. Because the honest truth is that to non-Christians, you have to tell them, you're not gonna see them again. They're gone. They never trusted in Christ. And now they face his wrath forever. Now, I've never said that at a funeral. But it is the truth. But as Christians, we have this hope and we have this peace. And why do we have it? It's because of the blood of Christ. So I hope we rest in that, church. I hope people see it on our face. I hope people hear it in our voice. I hope they see it in our demeanor. I hope they see it in our walk. I hope they see it in our actions and in our attitudes. 
there's something different about you. And you can say, yeah, I have a peace that is everlasting in Christ. Aren't you afraid of what's happening, the recession that might take place? Yeah, that stuff's going to stink. Don't get me wrong. But my life ain't centered on those things. My life is centered on Jesus and his finished, accomplished works on my life. And that's where I find my rest. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God of Jacob. That is my fortress. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Psalm 46. I'm thankful that you've given us these songs that we can sing, that we can recite, that we can talk about. I'm thankful, God, that you did not sugarcoat it. I'm thankful that when we read these psalms, it doesn't just talk about how easy life is, how awesome it is, how great it is, how everything is on the up and up for us. But instead, you've been so kind to reveal truth to us. That yes, the earth groans. That yes, creation continues to rebel. Yes, your church, the bride of Christ, continues to face enemies. It seems from within and from without. But God, it's not all for naught. We do this because of what Jesus has done for us. So God, I pray that you would help us as a church family to be faithful to you. Help us to find rest for our souls. Help us to seek our refuge, not in the things of this world, but in you. Help us not to lose sight of what we have gained in Christ, which is so much greater than any treasure on this earth. God, you know our hearts. It scares us to say it, but it is true. There is nothing better than the love of Christ that this world can offer. God, you know I say that that's a scary thing to say because I do wonder if I had a life like Job where everything was stripped from me, would I still be able to cry out, God, you are my God and I trust in you. God, I, I hope I would be able to say that. I hope I would be able to say Christ is enough. Though I've lost everything, I've still gained it all in him. Because, God, that really is the truth. And so, God, for each of us as individual Christians, I pray that we'd be able to grow in that area in our life. God, I know there's people here this morning who struggle greatly with anxiety. They struggle with the hurts of this world. They just can't seem to get past it. God, I pray that you would work in their life over and over and over again to see how you see them soaked and saturated in the blood of Christ. Saved by your grace, chosen by you to be a part of your family, given an inheritance that is greater than any other inheritance that could ever be given. You would remind them of who they are in you. And that you would provide for them a peace and a fearlessness that can only come from being in Christ. God, take this psalm and put it in our heart. God, help us to respond to your word this morning as we sing this last song together. Help us to honor you and worship you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.